Welcome to the Uncovered Legacy Podcast, where storytelling is not just left at the kitchen table. Many of us walk through life leaving a silent legacy, but I am here to change that by keeping those stories alive. Each tale will allow us to learn, discover, listen, and remember. I am your host, Curtis Burke. Thank you for listening. Born in Nashville, Tennessee, a graduate of the Tennessee State University with a bachelor's in communications, Meryl Johnson is an award-winning marketing executive with over 15 years of experience developing digital and integrated marketing, social, paid media, and content strategies that exceed brand goals. She has worked at Warner Brothers Entertainment Group as a director of digital worldwide theatrical marketing and also at the Country Music Association, known as CMA, as a director of digital and strategies in Nashville, Tennessee. She's a vice president of digital marketing at the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Science. Please welcome to Uncovered Legacy, Meryl Johnson. Welcome to the show, Meryl Johnson. Thank you for coming on Uncovered Legacy tonight. What's up? How are you? I'm good. You know, <laughs> we late. We late in the late night hour. You know, yes. drinking wine, exactly. eating steak, all the good stuff. <laughs> A little bit of red wine on both ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, happy Mother's Day. Thank happy you. Happy Mother's Night. Thank so you this, so much. So that, I feel like this is perfect time because it is Mother's Day and... Um, that goes right into a lot of the conversation. So I like to just, um, first of all, I know Meryl from college. We both are graduates of Tennessee State University, and we mm-hmm. both have our bachelor's in communications. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Right. So, yep. <laughs> um, so we go way back, and we both moved west to pursue our endeavors. And so I know your mother now, and I know you are really close to let's talk about that, like your grandmother and your mother. And I know your mother passed away a couple years ago. Uh, like 11 years ago. Okay, so it's yeah. been more than, okay, feels like not that long ago, because I remember kind of... It feels like, like yesterday, and yeah. it, it kind of stays with you, so I feel you. Like, today, mm-hmm. days like this are actually hard for me, mm-hmm. um, because I don't have my mother, and, right. you know, I lost her before I had my son, so all mm-hmm. the things that you would normally do with your mom, and, and, and just the stuff that you would need as far as help and guidance... Like, I just, I, ne- I never really got, I've, I've always been doing this by myself. And then my grandmother passed away in 2018. So okay. it's, it's, it's usually a painful day for me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily, you know, a day of, like, joy. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, every year it gets a little bit better, but it, ne- it just, it just kind of stays with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Thank you for being honest about that, too. Especially, I feel like, with social media, too. I always think yeah. about that. Like, everybody's posting. And, and it's one thing that you have your son, but he's so young. And it's kind of like you see like people posting pictures of their mom and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. I, I think that's what makes it harder. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's going on Instagram and then you see everybody's mom and, right. you know, it's it's there's people who have lost their mothers, too. But I, I think mm-hmm. the majority of the people that show up in my feed for some reason <laughs> are people who have their mothers or have their grandmothers and can just kind of celebrate, um, maybe not celebrate with them or just, but at least celebrate them or hear their voice or connect with them in some way. Um, right. 
And my son is nine, so, you know, we we enjoy each other's company. Like, we went and saw two movies uh, this weekend, uh, and that was kind of the way that we celebrated Mother's Day together. And he asked me a lot of questions about my mom, and I showed him pictures, and, and he got a chance to hang out with my grandmother. So I moved to Nashville for two years in 2016 when my son was three. So at that time, he was able to spend time with my grandmother and you know, she watched him and she was able to connect with him. And they were like kindred spirits. It was it was really interesting. Um, and so, you know, for him today was a little sad because he couldn't, you know, celebrate with my grandmother. Mm. Right. Um, but it makes him closer to his dad's mom. Um, so he's he like calls her practically every single day. Like he's really That's into, good. you know, mm. grandparents and parents and just kind mm-hmm. of understanding mm-hmm. what that connection is, you know? Yeah. Um, and it must have been meant for you to go back for those couple years too, like yeah. something because you randomly just picked up and left. I felt like and you just got a job and from the beginning, um, you know, you've always been in my eyes like an entrepreneur, free spirited mm-hmm. kind of person. Um so I hope you so. will Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you give you give that vibe. So um it's a good thing that he got I'm glad that he got to spend time with your grandmother because I know you were really close to your grandmother as well. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is one of those things where you sit back and, and the choices you make. Uh, I had left in 2016 because I just, I don't know, I just had this weird, overwhelming fe- feeling that I needed to leave. Um, and my career was good. I was doing well. I was at Warner Bros. at the time. And, um, you know, there was nothing about my situation that caused me to make me think that I needed to go. But there was just something in me that I was just like, I can't be here anymore. Like, I got to go. And I was actually trying to move to Atlanta Um, And one of my colleagues at the time had told me about a position at Country Music Association. And the person who was the head of the marketing department, who was also the head of partnerships, happened to be uh, from L.A. So I like messaged him on LinkedIn and because nobody was calling me back when I put in an application (laughs) and he wanted to hire me. And so that that kind of evolved. But then I would say six months after I got to Nashville, um, my grandmother had noticed she was having like these back pains. And um, I was living in the house at the time. And I was like, you need to go and get that taken care of. I don't even know what you're talking about or why you're not going to the doctor. Um, And it turns out she went to the doctor and they found out she had stage four lung cancer. Um, So... She was uh, with us for another like year and a half after that. Um, but, you know, I felt like it was a blessing in disguise because if I had not noticed that she was in pain, would anybody else have noticed she was in pain and would she have been around as long as she was? And right. my son would have never gotten a chance to know her, you know, if I had never moved back. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. Sometimes when you think you're going through a struggle or a hard time, And it was interesting because even in the like right as she was in the later stages of her um, diagnosis, probably the last six months, I had reached a point where like CMA was just not a place where I felt like was right for me. Um, There was a lot of transitions and it was it was very organic. And then I got an opportunity to come back to L.A. So, you know, it's it's interesting how God works you know, mm-hmm. and then how they step in and right at the same time, like I plan on staying in Nashville. I was, I was going to, you know, start my own business. I bought a house um, and I was going to chill out and God was like, nope, 
you're not doing that either. Um, and everything's a choice, but it was a choice that I needed to make at that time um, because I'm a single parent, so working is, is important. Um, and I ended up transitioning quite easily back to Los Angeles. So it was just, it was very symbiotic, like how that moment kind of transition for me to come back to Nashville, be there just for that specific period of time and then come back. Um, to come back. Yeah. But I kind of just go with the flow. Like I, I feel like God takes you on a path and I, I just try to listen to that path um, because I, I I feel like whatever the path that I'm supposed to be on is the, is the best path to be able to manifest the things that I want the most and the things that I've prayed for. I want to know more about your grandmother and your mother's relationship. How how did these women impact your life? Mm -hmm. I I grew up in a house from the time that I was 12, um, where I lived with my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, my grandfather, mm -hmm. and my sister. So, okay. you know, I grew up in a house of just, you know, a lot of strong women. Um, and my mother and my grandmother, like my mother was this woman who was a, a force of nature, but she also sacrificed a lot for other people. And she always kind of put other people ahead of herself. And so living in that home, you know, I got a chance to see them connect. Um, and I think, you know, it kind of impacted me now because I, I, I feel like I missed out on that type of relationship. They went, they went shopping together. They hung out together. You know, she... They were very different, but at the same time, very um, respectful of each other and very dependent upon each other um, emotionally. But just also, I think just the the way that they interacted with each other is, is something that I don't think you get a lot of these days, um, especially when you grow up in a house where you can kind of see them interacting on a regular basis. So, you know, for me, watching my mom go through the process of you know, really thinking about how to partner with my grandmother in a way in the household. Um, and my grandfather died in 2007. So they became even closer even, after right. that. Um, and my mother kind of became head of the household in a way because my grandmother had been married to my grandfather since she was 17. So she just kind of became that matriarch in a way. Um, and everybody kind of focused their energy on depending on her. She brought the family together she kind of organized all of our events. Um, you know, when we would go and go to like family reunions or family outings, you know, they took turns. They figured out who was going to make what. Like mm -hmm. my grandmother made the macaroni and cheese. <laughs> my mother made the macaroni salad. You know what I mean? And right. they, they had like this, this, this relationship where they bickered and, you know, just like mothers and daughters do. Like, you yeah. know. But at the same time, there was any such roommates, a any you know? roommate. It was a roommate <laughs> situation. But there right. was such like a mutual respect for each other. And um, when I was in high school, my mother traveled all the time. She traveled for work. So, you know, she would do this thing where, you know, at the time, like I'm trying to get out. Like I'm I'm in high school, <laughs> I'm trying to do me. Um and she she would always say to me, you know, regardless of how you feel about your grandmother. You have to respect where she's coming from. You have to understand she comes from a different generation. Um, right. And regardless of anything, you are still in this house. So there was just this like energy and this feeling of just uh, an understanding that they both had, even though they were from two totally different generations. Um, even though my mother was divorced and had been single for a long time, 
there was just this kind of dependence on each other that I, I really, I, I just valued in such a, in such an interesting way. Um, but I, I just don't see a lot of like mother daughters at that age, at that stage of their life, um, engaging and interacting in that way. So, you know, it's something that I, I look at and I hope like when my son gets older, like I want a daughter-in-law. And I want to have that type of relationship. Like, I'm like, I don't mind living in your house. Yeah, I don't mind you living Mm -hmm. in my house um, (laughs) because, you know, I'm I'm used to that. So Mm -hmm. I I think more than anything, that's good. you know, it was it was a feeling of just support at the end of the day. It it is interesting because who he the woman that he marries, if he decides to, you know, get married, she's probably going to be one giving you a bath. You know what yeah. I mean? If, yeah. if time ever, if that time ever comes, she's going to be your caregiver. So it's a, yep. it's a huge thing that she has to come into, and you guys have to get along. And I feel like it's, you know, we're both young parents. You have a couple years ahead of me, but just realizing like the importance, the importance of that dynamic of that, that daughter or son-in-law, the roles that they will play in your life, is interesting. It is. I mean, my mother died at a young age and my grandmother she died of single cell 3b lung cancer and it's a it's a very um it's just it's a it's just a terrible way to die and and so my grandmother ended up taking care of my mother when she was going through all of her cancer treatments and it's the type of disease that you only really are supposed to be around for three to six months when you, when you really look it up and she was around for a year through radiation treatments and chemo and everything. And my grandmother, you know, was with her every step of the way. She bathed her and she took care of her. Um, and so, you know, it's it's tough to, I would assume, to bury your child. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Regardless of how old they are, they're still always your child. Um, and when you look at it the opposite direction, I, I was not able to be with my grandmother in the same capacity. So... You know, I don't, I don't know what that means or what that looks like, but I do agree, like, when you, that kind of relationship you have with your daughter-in-law or your, or your son-in-law, it's an important one. You know, it's, it's family at the end of the day. Um, and I think everybody should cherish it more. You know, you, you come into some relationships, you see some families where they don't get along, and you just like, you only live once now. Yeah, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Let me ask you, so your mother... Um, how do you know how she ended up with this diagnosis? Yeah, she smoked for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. So she was a heavy smoker. I was a smoker. Well, I mean, I think you remember when I was smoking cigarettes. Like it was. Yeah. It was. Uh, she was a heavy smoker. Like she gotcha. at one point, I think remember her smoking like a pack or two a, a day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, she she trailed off after my grandfather was diagnosed with cancer, and, and it came back for the second time. And they just didn't smoke as much. Um, but she was still a smoker, and she had gone. She was she had retired, but she was working like a part time job at uh, Dillard's at the time. Yeah, it was Dillard's. And she um, went through this. At night, she was counting money. And she stopped uh, figuring out, like, she couldn't figure out how to count by 10. She was counting dimes. And for some odd reason, like, suddenly she couldn't count by 10. And then she went blind. And so they took her to the hospital. And that's when she found out that she had a tumor in her brain. Um, And so it was a tumor that had started in the lung and it metastasized to her brain. 
Um, and she had had two tumors in her brain and two tumors in her lung. Um, so, you know, smoking, it, it's, it's definitely a, a deadly, deadly, you know, habit. Um, and so it caused me to quit smoking, but it caused my grandmother at the time to quit smoking too. And, and, and obviously I think because of my mother's death, I think it added to both of our lives. Mm-hmm. How old were you when your mother passed? I was 30. I was 30. Yeah, it was uh, a couple months before I turned 31. Yeah, I was 30. Okay. And where were you living at that time? I, L.A. Here in L.A. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. I did another interview. It just made me think of another interview I did on, could you mention, you know, this is your mother, but this is her child. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the other guest I had talked about how she felt bad about how, like, when her mother passed, she instantly took everything. And, you know, everything was hers out the house. And then she realized that, like, wow, this is her child that passed. And she felt bad. And so she went to her grandmother, she said, and she went to her room crying because she said, I didn't even offer or ask you if you wanted anything. And but her grandmother was, of course, sympathetic to her saying, and, you know, I still have you. That's the biggest gift. But it's just kind of like the, the dynamic, because it's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be the grandmother passes, the mother and the child, not, mm-hmm. the you know, not your mother and her daughter. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I was 30. My mother was 58. And. You know, there's just this transition that you hit once you hit 30 with your parents. You start to become friends. You start to connect a little bit more. Like, you start to understand yep. where each other's coming from. And my mother had visited me two years before that here in L.A. And we had, like, a good time. We went out, like, it was during, like, New Year's. She came out with me. We went all these places. I was working in radio at the time. And she... Um, she was really like a huge fan of Albie Shore and I was like cool with Albie Shore so like he met us at for sushi and she never really <laughs> ate a lot of sushi like we had a lot of fun like we were smoking cigarettes together and drinking together yeah. like it was a good time and um, you know it, there was still a, a youthfulness for me because I was I was introducing her to a certain lifestyle that I was living but I still wasn't living the lifestyle that we know of today it's different right. when you like hit that level of maturity and you're able to connect with your parent in such a more, you know, significant manner where like they you truly now understand why they made the decisions and why they made the choices that they made, um, especially after you become a parent. Like it's just yeah. it just hits different, you know, um, it does. It, yeah. it really does. Yeah, I feel. I feel. I feel the same way. I feel like I was still blind in my twenties, not understanding a lot of decisions they made or our communication. But something about that thirty, I feel like when I got married, I hit a stage where it's just like, mm. oh, this is why y'all did this, or mm-hmm. I never understood these disagreements. And then when I have kids, it's kind of like you're looking at yourself and you're like, oh, like a lot of times you don't understand until you become that, a parent yourself. Yeah. And my mother was a single parent. So, you know, even for me now, it's just like, man, like I get it. You know, I get why it was such. And she had two kids. I get why she was tired all the time. Like I understood the depression that she was going Mm -hmm. through. Like, right. I understood why maybe I couldn't do certain activities because she literally had no time. She was pulled in 80 different directions and we were living, you know, close to family. So you know, she was being pulled in that direction and she was, you know, she had things that she wanted to do. 
that she had to hold off until I was a certain age and my sister was a certain age. So, you know, I, I, I just, you sit back and you go, man, like, I wish I could just tell you, thank you. Like, I wish I could just tell you, I understand. Um, and I think that's the thing that's hardest. It's, it's not being able to do that and hear their voice or see their face. Um, and know that, you know, you, you now you can relate and you're so sorry for making it maybe harder on them, you know? Yeah. I think too, um, you have exceeded both of them. I mean, I don't know your mom's education level, your grandmother's, but you have come so far and you've taken the baton to another level that I'm sure they're proud of you about. I mean, who would have thought little MJ back in Nashville <laughs> would be, you know, you know, vice president um, in uh, digital marketing. Yeah, yeah, at the how, academy. How, at the academy, <laughs> you know, and so it's just like you're you're still, they're very proud of you. I, I can tell you that. And how did you even get into digital marketing? Because you did, you worked at Warner Brothers, as you said. You worked at CMA. Mm -hmm. You're currently working at the academy. Um, how did you even get into digital marketing? Um, I had in high school started, like I was really in the computers. I was kind of a geek. Um, and so when I was, when we were all together and I was in radio in Nashville, um, I was actually, I'd build a computer and I was coding. Like I taught myself how to code and I was really into gaming and I had built like a website. Um, and so when I moved out here to LA uh, and I started working in radio again, I was actually in integrated um, marketing. So it was promotions, but I was on the more of the integrated side. So that was kind of this transition uh, that was happening in, 26, in 2006, 2007, where they realized, oh, wow, digital is like a thing. Like we should really be on top of this. Because of my coding background, um, I was a producer at the time for, uh, man, I, I always remember, I can't remember her last name, but she was, her name, first name is Renee, and she was on Hot 92.3. And she, uh, you always needed to code her page so that way you could do like all the updates for her show throughout the day. She was on. What does code mean? Can you explain that? What does that mean? So it's just like it's it's how a web page is developed. So it's coding. It's whether it's uh, HTML or CSS. These are all like forms of codes that you have to put together where it's uh, letters and numbers that are put into a specific sequence. So that way you then get a specific end result. So um, whether it's different, what's called tags that you incorporate into something um, and other like formulas that you incorporate, all of that incorporates a code. So even the, the thing that we're on right now, like Zoom or, or whatever this is called, there's a code that sits underneath that. And that allows us to be able to speak on video through an internet connection um, and for you to see it. So every website has a code that's connected in the back end. I was okay. <laughs> like, you know, I wasn't like a C++ coder. Like I didn't go to school, obviously, for computer programming, but I did enough to be able to make sure that I put in the basics. Going through kind of the process of radio, they do layoffs all the time. I was laid off. And um, I'll be sure, interestingly enough, uh, connected me with these guys that allowed me to code some websites they were working on. And I also had taught myself graphic design. 
in the process of that, um, I ended up getting a kind of taking all of those skills, incorporating into my resume and doing like a uh, temp, like temp work where I ended up getting a job at NBC Universal. Um, and that specifically was in digital. Cause at the time I was just like, I definitely don't want to do this radio shit. Like this doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just, it doesn't make enough money. And digital marketing seemed to be the way to go, especially media at the time. Like everybody was trying to get into ads. Um, when I was working in radio, I had started, um, I was working at um, Star 98.7 and we started this like campaign called Rockaholics. And I put together a campaign that allowed for it to be more kind of a digital focused approach to promotions. So we would do on-air contests and then you could sign up to be a rockaholic and you'd go into like an online system. And then in that online system, you would have to get points. The more you listen to the radio, the more you engaged in activities, the more points you got. And so then the more points you got, the more opportunity you had to win large prizes. And so um, I kind of took a lot of that knowledge and a lot of that background. And when I was at NBC Universal, I was on the media side. So at NBC Universal at the time, and they might do this still now, there's on-air and there's off-air advertising. I was a part of the off-air advertising group. And I was like bottom of the barrel, like the project <laughs> manager, you know, I was just trafficking ads. But I got really into like the how the ads were made because I would go through the process of going to these designers and I'd be like, okay, I've got to traffic this ad to a specific site, but the site's not accepting your ad. There's something wrong with the ad. So I'd give them like the feedback and they'd push back on me all the time. And I was like, you know what, fuck this. So <laughs> I'd stay late at night. I taught myself um, Action Script 3, which is a type of code that's specific to um, ads at the time. Um, okay. And those were like ads that were motion ads. And so I would code the ads so when I would get feedback from the web, from the site that the ads are being trafficked to, I'd code it myself. And then I'd go to the designer and I'd be like, see, this is what I need you to do. Now, mine was a little sloppy. It wasn't as crisp as what they could do. But they were pushing back on me on just the updates anyway. So I had to prove to them that not only is somebody who's never done this before able to like code this and make it happen, but now I need you to actually do it and I need you to do it right. So that was kind of my like beginning stages of like jumping into digital marketing. Do you feel like with that pushback, it, it pushed you in further to learn more? Oh, yeah. I'm, I've always been like the type to where if you tell me you can't do it, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And then I'm going to show you that it can be done. And then you're going to do it anyway. Like that's that's kind of my mentality of like, OK, you're telling me you can't do it or you're telling me you can't find something. I'm going to find it for you. And then I'm going to make you find it, you know? <laughs> it's so interesting because I don't know anybody else in this digital marketing coding world but you. And <laughs> I think out of all the, you know, the Tennessee State graduates, I don't know anybody else who, who was in your field. And so I was like, what is this digital coding thing? And then you went to Warner Brothers, correct? Yeah. So I went actually from NBC Universal to Focus Features. And I was able to, and Focus Features was great because it was mostly focused on awards campaigns. Um, I was able to work on really cool ad campaigns and just learn how to market a film overall. And then from there, I went to Warner Bros. And then from Warner Bros., I went to Country Music Association where I oversaw digital marketing overall. 
And now, um, how was that working at CMA in Nashville? It was, you know what? It was That's really <laughs> cool. I actually, uh-huh. I truly enjoyed it. Like it was one of those, those things. Like I oversaw digital strategy um, and country music association is different than country music television. I want to make sure that that okay. is in the forefront. It uh, is the, uh, the membership organization for the country music industry. So I okay. was able to interact with everybody in the industry um, and I was just able to do cool stuff and just really reinvent how you looked at somebody in that particular position. They had not had somebody in that position in a couple of years, and they had kind of missed just the transformation of digital at the time. Um, and because I, during my time at Warner, I had, I had really gotten into experiential marketing, which is you know, creating real world opportunities and connecting that back to digital experiences. Um, And CMA had a festival. They have a festival that takes over Nashville for four days um, in the summer. Um, They have a award show that's on ABC. They also have a, a show, a festival show from the festival that's on ABC. They have a country Christmas special that's also on ABC. Um, and then they also have a uh, kind of a traveling country music uh, a- acoustic performance that travels around the country. Um, in addition to all of the other foundational work and just industry work that they do. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those very uh, interesting types of environment where you can do a little bit of everything. And they weren't ready for me and I wasn't ready <laughs> for them. <laughs> but, um, you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I, I made some amazing friends and just people that I just truly respect. I think it humbled me in a way because I came in there and I'm like, I'm hot. You're not going to tell right. me nothing. I'm from, I'm from Hollywood. Right. right. I'm from L- <laughs> I, I was, I've been in L.A. Like, y'all don't know what y'all doing. And it just it put things in a totally different perspective for me. Um, I, I, I'm, I experienced racism. I experienced those things. But I think you experience that everywhere. Like, Actually, it's worse in Hollywood than it was at Country Music Association, to be honest. Um, and it was just it was a it was a truly transformative experience for me. Like, I, I actually really, really loved it. I loved being there. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved working on the festival. Like I they kind of in the grand scheme of things, mostly left me alone because I, I just <laughs> I, I did what I said I was going to do if I was going to do something. I did it. I was going to bring in money from Amazon. I brought in money from Amazon. So I took that position and I really kind of created something new to the point where they've never like they disbanded the position like they they've never filled it again. Um, wow. And so like, you know, it put me into perspective of, oh, OK, I can, nobody can match me at the end of the day. <laughs> like I'm a unicorn. OK, Um but it was it was a really cool experience, and I, I was I gained a lot of success in my field, mm-hmm. and it and it taught me a lot. I feel like with CMA in this particular role, like I feel like you are like on cloud nine, like. Oh man, like it's one of those things where it's it's what you make it, and I make it my own. You can't do that at a studio. Like a studio is very specific. You have your role. You make your role happen. I was able to transform my role, but it was still the same every day with every film. There's a formula to it with places like um, you when you have like trade associations or membership associations and legacy organizations, there's this kind of kind of you could kind of take the reins and make it your own. Um, And 
I didn't have, there wasn't somebody in the position that I'm in right now for like five years. At the and academy, so, right? At the, at the film academy. Um, okay. So the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, and there was nobody in this position for like five, six years, something like that. So, you know, for me, I came in and I was like, all right, I'm going to create something. I'm going to create something and it's going to be better than you all have ever seen it in your entire lives. And um, I've been able to do that. And I think a lot of it's because a lot of the respect and the love I have for my job is because of the people that I work with. Um, I partner with the EVP of membership. His name is Sean Finney. He's amazing. Like that's one of my best friends and he is an awesome support system. You know, I, I work with some awesome black folks, Janelle English, who is the VP of impact and operations. She's an awesome partner and colleague. Um, you know, it's just a lot of people who are really focused on, you know, a passion for what it is that they do. And it, and it's exhausting. You know, the Oscars is no joke. Um, and they don't have as many events as a CMA does. So everything else that I do throughout the year is stuff that I've created um, and things that, you know, I've worked with my colleagues to create. And, I, and, and that's, it's really exciting when you can create something from nothing. Did you ever see yourself working there um, before? I think when I was at CMA, I thought to myself, I wanted to work there. I didn't, I didn't think that I manifested it, but it was something that was in the back of my mind. I made comparisons to the Academy of Motion Pictures from CMA because they're both are associated with ABC. And I think I was more curious than anything. Um, so, you know, I, I ended up, the person that I uh, report to, my supervisor, her name is uh, Tenny Melodonian, and I ended up running into her at an IndieWire event. And, you know, I wasn't, I was just kind of sitting down and we ended up having a conversation and I was telling her about my time at CMA and I should connect you. My, my whole thing was, you know, Tenny, I should connect you with CMA because they had a lot of questions about uh, how you all work with ABC and like what's the kind of the deal that was signed in 2016 and what all of that is about. I never knew that that would evolve <laughs> into me getting contacted by them for for an opportunity. And I was actually leaving Annapurna Pictures in UAR at the time because I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Atlanta. <laughs> about to be near my family. And, right. uh, you know, the pandemic hits and, you know, life changes. So what would you say to um, that little girl in Nashville, growing up in Nashville, going to Tennessee State, graduate from HBCU to or now you're a vice president at, at the Academy of Motion Pictures? What would I say to her? Oh, man. I, I don't think I would say anything to her because the thing was at the time... I was focused on something totally different. And I think if I had said that I would be here in a job, any job, I would have made different choices to try to avoid this as much as possible. Cause I don't know if you remember, like I was, I was trying to be a VJ. Like I was going to move to New York and <laughs> that was, was it. That was Whitney it. Williams, scoot you over. know, <laughs> get out the way. Lala Anthony. <laughs> bye girl. Right. You know, I'm about to be on MTV. So for me, like I was very focused on the independent opportunities mm -hmm. that were available and being in front of the camera and, you know, getting into acting and producing and all those things. Like that's, that's actually why I chose LA versus New York. Cause it felt like it was going more in the direction of where I wanted to go. So I, 
I honestly would not tell her anything because I needed to go through the transitions and the process that I needed to go through to get here. I needed to understand what it actually looked like to be in Hollywood and to go through that, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. moving so many moving. times, <laughs> right? You know, right. <laughs> I would We've say, say I would, I'd probably say, save your money because <laughs> you're going to need it. <laughs> Well, what do you, how do you feel that like Tennessee State prepared you for where you are today? Um, I, I think, I think the people more than mm-hmm. anything, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, you know, it wasn't necessarily the curriculum I was working at the time. So for me, everything that we were learning, I already was doing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it was, it felt like it was delayed in that process. Um, but I would say the people, I, I think dealing and interacting with people, you know, I had not gone to a black school growing up. I went to, uh, a, I guess you could call it a white school, but it was a lot of international students there too. Um, and that was my entire elementary, junior high, high school career. So being able to come in and have an appreciation for my culture in a totally different way, um, have an appreciation for black people as a whole in a totally different way. I feel like it changed me and it changed mm-hmm. my perspective on, right. on my culture. So I think that has allowed me, even in my role now, I focus very heavily on diversity and inclusion and equity opportunities. Like whether it's, you know, figuring out how to really think outside the box and make sure that, you know, people of color are represented from a social perspective or a content perspective you know, really, you know, working with my colleagues to identify different diversity initiatives that we can move forward, whether it's thinking about an accelerator or figuring out, you know, how we can uh, like create affinity groups within the membership. I would have never thought about those things, I don't think, in the same way unless I had gone to an HBCU and understood the struggle from multiple sides of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Like we're not my we're not just monolithic like we're we're right. very diverse we're super diverse within our mm-hmm. own culture um and we lead culture at the end of the day and you see that through HBCUs you see that culture being the leading kind of perspective of of everything you know and so i think it allows me to connect to people a little bit differently working in this year's Oscars and and working with Will Packer, like there was a different connection that was there. He went to FAMU. I went to TSU. Like we can have that conversation. It's almost like that second cousin. I always say that when you hear about somebody, oh, oh, okay, I I see you. You, We see each other kind of like that HBCU thing. (laughs) It's like, okay, we'll talk after the Zoom or we'll we'll have that conversation. I I don't know for me in in short, I feel like it taught me how – that nobody's going to hand it to you and you have to go get it yourself. Mm-hmm. It taught you how to think outside the box. Like HBCUs are for people who don't have a golden spoon and it yep. teaches you, you're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to be a people person. You have to open your mouth. You're going to have to go get it yourself and survive and make a, make something for yourself. And I yeah. feel like when you see that black excellence, it's, it's something to never forget. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the folks that we went to school with, most of them are entrepreneurs in their own right. You know, if even if they do have a nine to five, they got like a side hustle uh, in right, some capacity. Right. So I, I, I absolutely agree. Like it does teach you to kind of figure it out um, and be surrounded by people who are figuring it out. Correct. And so now you have this like collection of individuals that are all like in the same way and same mentality. Like even here in L.A., like when we hang out, when we all come together, 
most of us have an entrepreneurial spirit or are doing mm-hmm. something that allows us to have to figure it out. And we're just having to do it on our own. And so each of us are successful in our own right because we've had to like, nothing's been handed to us. And it's just a different type of grind, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like you come from that back bone as well with the DNA side of you with your mom and your grandmother too. They had mm-hmm. to figure it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they did have to figure it out. My grandmother was a seamstress um, her entire life. She was an amazing seamstress. Um, and my mother, she was a manager at, at Bell South AT&T for many, many years. But, you know, regardless of the situation, they always found a way, you know, I, I never wanted for anything. We weren't, we didn't have money but I never wanted for anything. I wouldn't have known how much money we had, you know? Right. And so I think my mother was really good at just kind of hiding that from me and just, you know, figuring it out. If I needed something, she always got it. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know how she got it when I, (laughs) she wanted me to play violin. She figured out how to get me a violin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and even the things that she wanted herself, she figured it out. And so, um, I, I think that that resonates when you come from a family of, of folks like my grandfather. He didn't have a, a college education um, and he went to the World War Two. Um, but he was he had a business on the side with landscaping and he was worked for the post office for many, many years. And, you know, even well into his late 70s, he was still working. He was figuring it out. Figuring it out, you know, and teaching me how to get money from a credit union and pay it off. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I, I come from a family of people who are, I, I, I hate to say hustlers, but just people who know how to figure it out and make figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I thank you for sharing this story. I know your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother are very proud of you. Thank you. Who would have known that they would have had a VP? Vice president of anything, you know. Look Who out, did? world. Here she comes, right? We, little MJ. Here we go. Here we go. You, Kyle, Kylan's coming right after me. Come on now. Right, right. And now here you are with the next legacy. And I thank you for coming to Unco- Uncover Legacy and sharing the stories of your childhood, your, your generations um, of, of wealth and strength that came through you. And I know you're going to continue that through your, your son. Thank you. And you too, through your twins and through your Thank wife. You. So congratulations. I I'm so proud of you, Curtis. Like, you know, I, I, I remember when we were like figuring it out together. So. Right. I remember oh. helping you move. You helping me move. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, those, you know, those, those various days when we would go and get wasted. So, yeah. you know, now, now, we're, now we're watching our kids get wasted off right. of chocolate milk. So exactly. there we go. <laughs> well, thank you. And I appreciate that. And happy Mother's Day. And you thank are you. an awesome mom. Thank you. I appreciate that. There is something unique, even spiritual, when you have a grandmother, daughter, and grandchild under one roof. The impact Meryl's mother and grandmother have imprinted on her life will never change, only guiding her as she now creates her own family legacy. There is no doubt the love these two women have had on her, and now she can share their stories with all of us because they live on through her. Thank you for listening to Uncovered Legacy.